So hello, I'm here with Alnor Ladha uh, of The Rules, still, I believe, and uh, the author of a fascinating recent article, Psychedelic Communities, Social Justice and Kinship in the Capitalo Scene. Welcome, Alnor. Thank you for having me, Stephen. Um, so, uh, standard stuff, I thought we could start just by inviting you to introduce yourself to our audience and uh, maybe in touching on what your experience with psychedelics and psychedelic communities are, given that's the topic of the article. Sure, yeah, and I'll apologize in advance if there's any noise in the background, um, because I, I, I live in the, the jungle of Costa Rica and uh, our internet sounds, I had to come to the, the, the local restaurant at the closest town, so you might hear some, some uh, bedlam in the background. Add some atmosphere, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, my name is Alnur. I, my my uh, day job and, and, and work, uh, if you will, if you can call it that, is is as a uh, an activist and a political strategist. Uh, I'm part of a collective called the Rules, which focuses on the root causes of economic inequality, poverty, and climate change. And we have both a think tank arm that tries to get more progressive ideas into the mainstream and an organizing arm that works directly with social movements, largely peasant movements, farmer movements, indigenous movements, but uh, also broader based groups. And and then there was a question around experience with psychedelics. Well, yeah. That, um, so you, I'd like to hear a bit more about you, you know, you as a, as a human being as well. So you've mentioned you're currently living in in costa rica like can you give can you give us a taste of of your journey of the kind of places that you lived and maybe the how you came across uh plant medicines yeah yeah for sure so so i i come from a, a sufi tradition my parents are east african uh, my mom's family is from zanzibar my dad's family is from uganda they met in vancouver in the 70s uh, i grew up very urban and so um it's it's kind of ironic that i end up uh uh you know, living in actually in, in the, the same uh, latitudinal line as my my ancestors in, in Zanzibar um, had come full circle, really, because I was so urban, being socialized in the West, uh, like many of us have been, and uh, ending up sort of in this uh, community. We have an alternative uh, post-capitalist community called Tierra Valiente. Uh, and there's a medicine retreat center, alternative healing center at, at the sort of core of that community. Um, and so I, I am deeply immersed in the, the plant queendom and uh, the, the psychedelic realms. But uh, I have not always been so, um, even though my, my lineage are, are psychedelic Sufis. They, they worked with Syrian Rue and Hashish. Um, I only really uncovered that in, in my 20s um, because our you know, our family, like most immigrant families, like wanted to fit in to Canadian society and those cultures. And so it was quite repressed, those aspects. So uh, we always had a spiritual practice, um, you know, for, I'm not sure how uh, familiar your audience may be with Sufism, but it's the, the mystical branch of Islam. Um, and it's about disintermediation of, of power. So there's no uh, mullahs or the Quran is not the final say. It's like... Uh, it's almost a, an animistic worldview where everything is alive, everything is Allah. Uh, and so we were sort of, I guess, in some ways um, brought up in a psychedelic tradition. Um, 
because you know that's one of the key teachings of psychedelics is really this transcension of subject object duality um there is no other uh, everything is divine and how do you sort of live in that place and uh what i realized is even though i was brought up with those as our core beliefs the way uh, someone who in say canada would be grow up with with christian beliefs and go to church on sunday it was very compartmentalized so we would talk about the, that in the spiritual realm when we were doing prayer but then in the day-to-day -day realm we were in this you know hardcore materialist rationalist western context and so it was only in my early 20s when i started first working with psilocybin that i started to go back to those core teachings and really understand them for probably the first time um and then in my late 20s uh i started working with ayahuasca uh, i met i was living in london and then in 2009 moved to new york uh to help set up a political consultancy and shortly after um i i met uh, a shaman from peru who would come to upstate new york and do ceremonies and that was my my first introduction to the medicine and and the first time i i tried ayahuasca was 2012 and my my whole life sort of changed i just the, the vistas of possibility opened up uh and my my lineage and my ancestry could speak to me in a way that it couldn't before because i was so closed off um by the really the 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 sort of reification and the feeding of the egoic mind that that western culture um knows how to cater to so so beautifully right mm. so i mean we've uh had somewhat parallel journeys at least you know first being involved in in activism and and uh political change and then only sort of subsequently really getting deeply into the uh psychedelic and, and plant medicine world so I'm I'm curious at, at what point did you um or did you see I mean I'm assuming this is the case actually um that uh th th these two worlds could come together or maybe you know there was there was something some promise in these worlds coming together the activists and the and the world of psychedelics or plant medicines yeah so as i said when i when i was first in new york i was in this political consultancy and my worlds were very much compartmentalized still you know i i had my my spiritual practice and then i had my political work that of course overlapped in some ways but not really right and i really wouldn't talk to my political comrades about my spiritual practice um and if i tried to bring up spirituality uh in a political uh context you know it, people would be triggered right and to bring up politics in a spiritual context people would be triggered and they'll say well this is a, this is a safe space you know we don't talk about politics here and and then you know occupy happened and that was uh being in new york during occupy and 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 being involved and being in some of the working groups the thing that struck me the most was um the 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 lack of spirituality you know that that when we talk about what our world what the post capitalist world was to us we could agree on policy ideas or you know redistribution of wealth or, but there was no metaphysical world view on what we wanted the world to look like and there was this moment where i realized like this is these are not necessarily my people 
you know, in, in the sense of like, like who am I actually building my dream and vision for what could be with, if that's one definition of community. And I also met some of the most amazing human beings in, uh, at Occupy and, and work we're doing now is still a continuation of, of, of that work and those relationships. And then in 2012, after my first ayahuasca ceremony, I decided to, to leave my partnership in this consultancy and, and help set up the rules. And the rules was very much born from an ayahuasca vision. And so, I, 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 you know, I, I guess in that sense, it, it is deeply psychedelic, right? Uh, only in the sense that uh, our focus is culture hacking work. It's to basically, this, you know, the simplest way to, to say it is to, to um, show and reveal and question an assumption uh, uh, sorry, question the core assumptions of, of uh, the logic of our operating system. And so in some ways, psychedelics are, are the greatest tool and ally we have for that cultural deconstruction because they take you to these boundary-dissolving places, as you know, that let you see the deep cultural programming that you yourself embody in some way and then shed that and release that if you so choose. Uh, and, and at least what it does at the very minimum is, is cast some awareness on, on your programming. And so we created essentially a, a think tank for deprogramming culture. And Terrence McKenna has always been, um, even before I fully understood him, you know, uh, 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 I guess the patron saint of the rules and uh, of the organization. Um, and his line, he's got this famous line that many people know, uh, which is, culture is not your friend. And that was really the starting assumption of our whole methodology of culture hacking work, to understand what the major premises and assumptions are on a certain issue, whether it's universal basic income or, um, you know, abortion or uh, development aid, overseas aid, or whatever it was, to understand what the core cultural assumptions are and then to deprogram them and then to then have a sort of political economic alternative that, that is actually true to the values we hold dear, justice, uh, cooperation, altruism, generosity, evolution of human consciousness. And so, so I, yeah, so I'll um, stop I'm, there. Well, I'm curious if, I mean, you said that, you know, your experiences with ayahuasca kind of directly inspired the rules and you sort of, you understood the power of psychedelics as uh, deconstructing or deconditioning agents. Uh, as far as I'm aware, the rules has not had an explicit focus on psychedelics as deconditioning agents. So I'm curious, you know, why not? If given that you you seem to understand you know, how powerful they can be in that regard. Yeah. Well, our kind of external facing, um, let's call it meme campaigning, for for lack of a better word, um, could lend itself to to, to that. But I, I sort of feel like the the uh, avenues of let's say you know, like doing a, a meme campaign on cognitive freedom have, have sort of always been in the 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 burner we've discussed it but it doesn't feel like the the most the, the pertinent or the best use um, uh, of our resources p partly because we have always been a, a finite project like when we were born uh, in 2012 we we came with a very strong critique of the industrial development complex and we said we're not going to create an NGO to 
be in self-perpetuation, but it's only going to live for uh, a fixed period of time. It was initially 10 years, and then we revised it to, to eight years a few years ago. And so it was only going to live for eight years, and its focus was very much um, economic justice, post-capitalism, etc. But psychedelics have always been a core part of how we operate as a, as a group of human beings. And where we would go to our answers for what we should work on, why we should work on it, you know, our entire uh, year-to-year strategy was always informed by the medicine. But we didn't come to say, okay, medicine, we're, we're here to be your conduit to, for legalization, because I, I personally don't even think that legalization is, is the right strategy. Um, I, I believe more in decriminalization. And, and, and so our role was never that. It was never to be uh, sort, of, uh, sort of psychedelic cheerleaders uh, or, or to proselytize the, the medicine. It was like we're going to embody the way we want to show up in the world. And when people ask us, how did we come up with this idea? Uh, I will, I've always been super explicit about it that this, the, all, all of our ideas come from our individual uh, spiritual journey. So I don't speak for, for everyone at the rules uh, because we come from a mystical anarchist tradition, right? And, and uh, uh, each is their own person. And also we come together as a collective and our focus as a collective is economic justice. And these strategies and ideas often come from psychedelic medicine, often come from building altars together and uh, setting shared intentions and shared visions. And uh, we all have our own medicine practices, but it's also not enforced. You know, people have worked for the rules. There have been two or three people who have come through the rules over the last uh, eight years, because the rules closes at the end of this year, uh, who are not psychedelic people. And we never wanted them to feel uncomfortable. You know, we, we, it was always a place where you could come work and you didn't have to spend an ayahuasca sutra with us, or you didn't have to go on a San Pedro journey uh, or an LSD journey or whatever. Um, but... The, the, there's a the broader frame there that you mentioned, which I, and I like this phrase is what is mystical anarchism. And, you know, mm-hmm. people that and psychedelic or plant medicine practice perhaps is is you know one route exactly. into, into the mystical. Exactly. But people you know sometimes came with other practices, tools, techniques. Which, exactly. So you know, if you work that, like, access those places, yeah, yeah. And my sense is, if if you were wanting to to be uh, like a part of the rules collective or even one of the partner groups, um, if you didn't have a spiritual practice, you'd probably feel uncomfortable with us. You'd think we were kind of crazy because, uh, you know, we believe in the realm of magic, you know, and so we create altars before we have our meetings and we, we set our intentions. And uh, when we write an article, you know, I'll blow Mapacho spoke uh, on the article. When we press send on an email blast, we'll pray with tobacco. And so it, it can be awkward for people, but it's never imposed. You know, it's each person has their own practice. And so the, the question is, like, why not talk about psychedelics? It's like there's other people doing that. Like MAPS does that and ICERS does that. And our role has always been something else. But the plants and their consciousness have always been embedded in our work. And I'll just also say there's we, we did run a program called the Activist Ashram for three years. It's a fellowship program for organizers on the front lines of social justice. And the, the spiritual practices and the mystical anarchist practices and the shamanic plant medicine practices were, were all part of that dialogue and discourse. And it was really a co-teaching from different traditions. Mm. So uh, I, I believe there's been a huge breakthrough you know, in, uh, in making this uh, 
connection between uh, well, mysticism and anarchism, if you like, or, or psychedelics and activism uh, with, with the advent of Extinction Rebellion, and which I imagine you've, you've kept up with to, to some extent. But uh, Gail Bradbrook, one of the co-founders, is certainly very, very open. She's you know, quoted in multiple different interviews. Uh, saying that her, the Extinction Rebellion, uh, or like the rules, was uh, was directly inspired by plant medicine experiences, um, and that she continues to have a strong um, relationship with with the plants, as do many people within Extinction Rebellion. Extinction Rebellion has this this kind of spiritual current running through it, which is uh, you know well is maybe familiar and. and and welcome to people like you and me, but is is very unfamiliar to many people uh, on the you know the left broadly. Um, who uh, I think, and I think there's and things things are changing. I think things are changing fast. Nevertheless, there's still a very large portion of of people who are campaigning on social justice mm-hmm. issues who think this is all this you know mysticism, spirituality, plant medicine is just bonkers mm-hmm. is and um is it uh, is you know at at best a a kind of uh kind of quaint curiosity and at worst uh a, a, a distraction and something to actually be put down mm-hmm. uh, have, have you have you have you come across this or, or yeah of yeah. course of course like you know i i grew up in the anti-globalization movement and uh you know i i think the way to 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 uh, have empathy, let's say, for 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 this worldview, uh, is look the the left has come from um, a history of of rationalism and materialism. In, in many ways, that the core leftist impulses were in direct reaction to Christianity, right? And so. Marxism is deeply atheistic. The idea of historical materialism is deeply atheistic, and so the the left was sort of grew up in that in that worldview. And and part of it is the the reason they end up so rationalistic is that they want to compete with their capitalist overlords um, in the in the realm of rationality. And and what ends up happening is that they don't even realize that they're that they've become colonized, because the the terrain of mimetic battle, the the realm of ideas in which they play, has been shaped by the discourse that uh, imperialism has laid out for them. And it's like, oh, okay, you, you want to create a new world? Well, explain your blueprint to us with axiomatic logic. And so Marx and Engels go do that, right? Two smart white Western men go into a room and try to figure out, well, you know, what is uh, prefigurative justice look like? And, and when they uh, get it wrong and all these insane consequences happen, and then you have the Rawlsians who come in and try to figure out their prefigurative worldview, and all, they're all doing the same thing. It's largely white men trained in analytical, rationalistic, materialistic, dualistic, Cartesian, Newtonian concepts, trying to figure out how they can, uh, quote unquote, create uh, a different world. And, and, and I have empathy for it on some level, but what they have to understand is the reason we, we are in this mess is because the rational mind is a product of the ego, and the ego is not going to get us out of the mess that's created by the ego. 
It's, I mean, we, you actually, to be fair, we don't have to go that much further back than Marx, though, to find some interesting and noted you know, Western philosophers who were working in, you know, something uh, or with the, with the mystical or with this quite different conception of con- consciousness. Like Marx, I understand, was heavily inspired by Hegel, who uh, was, was an idealist who believed in uh, a, a realm of, of, of spirit. And it's, 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 it's currently of some uh, confusion to me why, uh, how people like, uh, like Kant and Hegel and Schopenhauer, who all had this mystical streak, were, uh, have been like f- forgotten by the left when there's certainly like a, a relationship there. But um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I largely agree with, 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 what you, with your analysis there, yeah. But, so, um, what's interesting though is, that, and I, I also have a lot of empathy for, for, the, for the traditional left because the, 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 in some ways, you know, of course they threw the baby out with the bathwater and the reaction to Christianity makes them anti-religious, which I also understand. Uh, and, and I think what science has done is it sort of filled that void and the kind of scientism of, of Dawkins uh, gives gives the Western mind a sense of like hubris and achievement, right? That you know we know everything, so like why do we need to believe in this thing called God, right? And and so so that's also filled the void to a certain extent. And also, I would say the the New Age hasn't made our jobs as mystics easier, right? Because there's a lot of New Age. Blah, blah, that just makes all like that realm of exploration seem um, unappealing, and and so there's this interesting thing, like as you say, this this merger of politics and spirituality, um, activism and psychedelics, mysticism and anarchism. However, you want to describe it. What what's beautiful about it is that the 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 left is starting to realize that there is something more to the world than what we've been told, and that science is really just the floor of understanding it's not the ceiling and the beauty is in the mystery and they're starting to understand that and and what's interesting is the new age movement is realizing that their spiritual narcissism is also bankrupt that that they can feel as amazing they as they want and they can go on as as many vipassanas and yoga retreats and ayahuasca retreats as they want but none of us are free until all of us are free and as these sort of two communities come together there's huge potential in this. This is the sort of moment where like our inner work and our outer work can be married, right? And it's what Sri Aurobindo used to talk about with the integral yoga. The point of yoga is not to be enlightened in a cave. The point of yoga is to change the third dimension to reflect the values of higher consciousness. Mm-hmm. I, 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 so I've, it's curious that perhaps the, uh, the part of the political spectrum that's maybe most enthusiastically grasped some of these uh, mystical esoteric tools and techniques uh, is perhaps the alt-right at this point. And I don't know whether you, you mm-hmm. uh, are familiar with this idea of meme magic. And uh, the, the, the sort of, there's a really uh, fascinating series of articles uh, published on how uh, the, the all right had kind of like you know weaponized the mean magic for, for as a tool for getting Donald Trump elected. Uh, parts of which, much of which, I found very persuasive, and it seems to me that um, it, it's 
it's important that uh, in the left and other parts of the political spectrum understand that there's mm-hmm. there's power in mm-hmm. in these techniques sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, well, you know, the, 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 I, I think in some ways the right has always understood this. Um, you know, the, however you want to think of the right, right, as as sort of um, imperialist power, establishment power, has always really been, you know, John Dee was the uh, court astrologer and astronomer for, for Queen Elizabeth, right? It's, it's sort of, this has always been embedded in, in power. This, they, they, I, I think their logic in some ways is to say, well, even if I don't understand this, I know this can have power. And uh, they understand the power of words and spells and um, they, they've versed themselves in, in ancient texts often, right? And, and power has always done that. It's always said, we're, we're, we're going to co-opt the priesthood because that's a necessary avenue into one part of the psyche. Whether I understand it or not doesn't matter. You know, and that's, that's almost part of the training, uh, uh, right? That, that you, just because you don't understand it, it doesn't mean you don't seize the means of power. Mm-hmm. What works? Yeah, whatever works. Yeah. Whatever works. And, and it's, uh, but it seems to me that uh, the the antidote to that is is you know is not to create a new priesthood necessarily, but is to engage in practices that are indeed you know, deconstructing or, or deconditioning or, or dissolving um, that help us just see through all of this, see it as the kind of the spectacle and the 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 play lila that that it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's, that's really, I, think, I think that's where we agree that, that psychedelics have a, a very important role to play. Um, but I, I'm, I'm wondering whether we, we might come on to the, the article that you wrote, because of, of course, although you believe psychedelics do have promise in this regard, you're also uh, uh, somewhat concerned about the current expression of psychedelic culture, we might say, or at least you've, you've written this quite powerful invitation for psychedelic communities to... to step up um so uh, would, you, would you would you mind just summarizing uh the main points of the article yeah definitely and and and, and, I, and I agree with you it's like the reason for this exploration is is not to be critical you know but to, to say how do we better apply with responsibility these these tools these practices these techniques for for something better for something bigger um and I, before I, I get into that, I'm just going to say one thing about uh, mystical anarchism, because I, I sort of prefer it as an expression um, in, in some ways, because, you know, what, what, what we mean by mysticism is just direct experience, right? It's the gnosis, it's the, the, the sort of direct connection to the divine, you know, whatever that expression is. And the plants are one way into that. Um, and psychedelics are one way into that. Maybe the most efficient, you know, subjectively, I would say the most powerful, the most important. Um, but but truth is a pathless land, as Krishnamurti said. But why choose anarchism? Because anarchism is a word that triggers many people. But the, the, the beauty of anarchism is it's a very sophisticated political philosophy. It's not anarchy. It's not chaos. It's self-governance. It's believing in... in your creativity and self-expression as a person or as a group of people, as a community that decides your future, you know, no gods, no masters, um, is, is also a very mystical impulse. And so I, the, 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 the reason to marry these is for that reason. And, and that's the, really the transition to this article is like, 
that's what could be built. And as we've said, the, the, the left has always, social justice world has shunned away from psychedelics as an avenue to social change, uh, partly because they've been competing for, for sort of airtime in, in the academic circles, uh, in the sort of world of axiomatic logic. They think they can out-logic their oppressor. And what the, the sort of psychedelic movement has been doing is to, to say, you know, we're going to ignore that. We're going to bypass that aspect and we're going to create the world we want to create. And this article um, was written for CAPI, the, the um, uh, ayahuasca journal for the World Ayahuasca Conference. And it was partly a, a, a both a plea and a provocation to really to say, this is a, a moment that we could come together. This is a key moment, if there ever was a moment, you know. This is the moment that we see all the ills of globalization. It's monoculture, it's cannibalism, it's psychosis. And what it's done is it's brought us access to these plants from around the world and connection to each other. And what we can do is we're not trying to go back to the, the Stone Age. You know, that's, that, that's not the point is to go back to hunter-gatherer societies, but to synthesize the best aspects of tribal culture, the best aspects of shamanism, and merge that with the, the best aspects of Western technique, with the rational analytical thought to create the post-capitalist world we know as possible, to create a world that is based on values that we all agree to and want to sign up for, you know, not uh, a set of rules written by white men in powdered wigs, three to 500 years ago, or even 100 years ago, or even 50 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. So if, let's see if I can, um, the, I, I mean, the article is, is at its core concerned with the perpetuation of life on earth. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say our, our, the, the core choice we're facing right now is, is growth or life. And, and of course, if life wins, everyone wins. But if we don't diagnose the problem, which is an issue with New Age communities and an issue with many psychedelic communities, is that they have no critique of power. They, they don't really even understand the oxygen in by, which they are, by which they are consuming. And so if, if you don't know, you know what's around you and, and the structure of the system, uh, how can you ever create an alternative for what could be better? And it's how we get all these bad ideas, like... Uh, conscious capitalism and social entrepreneurship as if like reform can change this thing yeah i like this this you have this phrase nature always bats last <laughs> i love that i don't know whether that's yours or whether you took that from somewhere but gregory bateson line uh-huh nice um, i mean at, and, and, i mean at the the risk of like pushing us into the ineffable uh why are you concerned about the perpetuation of life on earth <laughs> um, well, you know, it, it comes down to what do you, what is your metaphysical worldview? Why, why do you believe we are here? Right. That, that's how big this question is. And uh, and we're really starting at first principles. And I and I think in some ways everyone has to answer this question for themselves. Right. So what we we, uh, we did a meme campaign on this as the rules. Um, we, we, we put it as growth or life. And it, it's very much a question. Like the choice is ours as a civilization to which direction in which we will go. And the, the question of, of 
why life to me is almost um, it, it, it's almost like self-evident, right? It's it, it sort of uh, I I believe that universe tends towards uh, greater novelty and, and 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 greater expression, and that expression happens through diversity of life, and um, it's completely innate. Every instinct in my body supports the preservation of life and um anything that that is opposed to that life as capitalism is through its very structure it's very hardwiring um it, it very clearly needs to change and and uh i don't see human beings as the peak of human evolution i see human beings as the youngest species in evolution embedded in a web of life and we are a subset of the biosphere. We are children of the guy in Entelechi. We do not come first. We're not three generous. So to get, uh, to get like even further out, uh, you, you might be aware of the concept of the, the heat death of the universe, which is the idea that in what the order sort of 10 to the power 100 years time, uh, the universe will just be a kind of black sea of some atomic particles, as like all the all of the heat and as has spread out evenly throughout the entire universe. Like life is doomed, is my point here. Like you know, life will come to an end, as far as we know from you know the, the physics that we do right now. Yeah, uh, so that, that's the so key. Like, right? Just, 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 just push it to push it even further. You know, like what if if it's all going to come to an end anyway? What's the point of like? What does it really matter whether it lasts? Right. You know, like another ten years or another thousand years or whatever it might be. Well, yeah. The, the answer is yes. Can we swear on this show? I don't know if we can, but it would be fucking obviously yes, <laughs> right? And, 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 and you know, the, the, the key point is from the science we know now, right? Just deconstruct the, the, the mimetic architecture of the stories we are told about reality, right? Well, ha, ha, okay, from the physics we know now, well, the human beings that exist a billion years from now will be as different to us as we are from single cell amoebas. So how do we know what we'll be? A uh, hundred and a hundred years ago, we thought the, the universe was like 4 billion years old. And now we know it's 14 billion years old. No, right. We, we now hypothesize it is 14.4 billion years old. And this is the, a key antidote meme. Science is the floor of understanding it is not the ceiling of understanding it is a constantly evolving set of information and so we don't know anything we hypothesize a lot and when science comes up with an answer to the why why are we here why did big bang happen how you know the, the the first principles which it doesn't you know as mckenna always used to say science asks for the initial freebie and that in explain the rest, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. It's one free miracle, and it's like well, when science has an answer for that, that would be a starting point. And, and, when, and when, when, when science, when the scientism breaks down into its humility as it should, it will realize that all that is being perpetuated by the, the that story is a scientific rationalist materialist nihilism. It's just a form of nihilism. And so let's just take the logic 
first, and we, we've attacked that logic, which is from what we know now, and that's the key premise. And then there's the, if you want to get into the, you can call it the metaphysical or the spiritual, but I don't think it is. I think this is a question of moral philosophy that every human being has to answer. And whether you believe in karma or not doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's sort of, how do you want to live your life? And, and that is the question that is not taught to us in schools. We're not taught to think consciously about that question, right? And what other question really is there to live? What, what, what is the point of all religions, all ethical, moral philosophies? It's to ponder that question. And what we do is we relegate that responsibility to a few high priests, whether they're moral philosophers at Stanford or, uh, you know, the Vatican, uh, or, or your, your local imam or mullah. And it's like, that's your responsibility. We cannot abdicate our responsibility as human beings to ask the question of why we're here, why we think we're here, how we want to live our lives, and what do we want to be in relationship to. And quantum physics is teaching us that the universe is not happening outside of us. We, we meet the universe halfway. We are in relationship with an animate living universe and an animate living planet. So what half of that equation do you want to bring? And, and that, that's the question of, so what? Well, I can't answer the so what for you. But I know that there's a reason we've incarnated in 2019 on Gaia in the third dimension. And to be incarnated in troubled times, to be incarnated in this context, has a moral karmic implication for me subjectively. Mm. Mm. There's, uh, you, you almost mentioned this phrase earlier, actually, but and I'm sure you're familiar with it. Charles Eisenstein's phrase, the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. And mm. I mean, and I'm asking this question to, to other people, you know, so what, well, what's, why, why perpetuate life on earth? And they will, sometimes you get the answer, well, for love, which is not a word which was just mentioned, but um, but for, for for beauty and for love, and I think I, I think it to for people to be able to say unashamedly, you know, for beauty, for love, and and not feel any need to explain themselves like beyond that, I think is would is would be no bad thing at all. That mm-hmm. uh, you know we uh, yeah we have to every, I think we are basically in the realm of the ineffable. I think we're that that. Uh, we 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 desire the perpetuation of life because we it's we deeply feel it because it's in our bones and and that's okay and 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 to anyone who really desires a kind of an intellectual rational answer I think the answer is probably to like you know give them a hug or um, or maybe some magic mushrooms or whatever it might be but well well you know maybe the the other thing is important to say is that. Um, language is is limited right and i i think part of the uh, why i i i didn't necessarily use the word love is uh, of course you're you know i come from a sufi tradition right and and in the sufi tradition like you are allah becoming self-aware and the whole universe is allah becoming self-aware and and you could say that the, the universe moves towards greater novelty, greater complexity, and then the, the why, what feeds that engine is love itself. Life striving to be life for nothing else but life itself is the greatest romantic act. And, and the preservation of that life is the greatest romantic act. But as soon as we use language, um, 
especially a, a language as cliched as English, right? So, something gets lost in that translation. And this is why you can never answer that question because the terms by which that question is being asked is creating a framework that only rationalist, linguistic, you know, utteral sounds will, will answer. And as soon as they answer them, they have not answered the question because the constraints are set as such. So it seems to be an invitation, a suggestion there for... <laughs> for more of us to do more that gets us out of our heads and into our bodies and into our hearts. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it's interesting too, you say, when you were talking about the left, you said, have you in encountered these people? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I've encountered those people. And, and also what, I, what I, I also encounter in the more spiritual communities is uh, we don't even know we've been infected with the programs of Cartesian dualism, right? And we'll say, this idea of, of um, moving out of our heads and into our minds, what it does is it sort of, uh, it scares uh, lefties, right? Because they're like, well, no, I, I need my mind. Oh, you, just, you just said out of our heads and into our minds. Is that what you, is that what you mean? Uh, out of our heads and into our hearts. Out of our minds, into our hearts. Yeah. Uh, and it scares, it scares people on the left. And, and, and in, in some ways, there isn't, and, and actually in, in the most profound ways, there is no dualism. There is no distinction. Actually, what we're doing is we're reprogramming and rewiring our neurological frameworks to be in service to our hearts, which are in service to life and love. And we're not trying to amputate any aspect of ourselves. We're not trying to amputate our mind or we're not trying to amputate our ego. We're actually uh, evolving them, uh, training them, uh, to 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 be in service to, to to something greater than itself, and that is uh, that is what spiritual practice is for. Wholeness, finding wholeness. some wholeness again. Yeah, uh, and so there's. I mean, there's, there's some quotes which are kind of on this topic towards the end of the article. The uh, the the binary idea that change starts within will give way to a more non-dualistic discursive mode of simultaneous inner and outer change that will feed upon itself. And then uh, almost at the end, we may find there is no remaining distinction between an activist and a shaman. I really liked that. Yeah. So we, I mean, we've dwelt more on this aspect of, of, of um, the kind of despiritualization of, of the left, if you like, but maybe we can just uh, dwell upon uh, for a while on the the kind of spiritual new age, uh, might even say like, you know, Burning Man community and uh, what the, what, what can be done there, what needs to happen there, what some of the, what, what the responsibilities are there for that, uh, community and 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 and, and uh, uh, you do you consider yourself more familiar with or, or more of more a part of one or the other at least in the past you know i i, I always joke that i i like to be on the liminal edge of all my relations you know i i've been to burning man uh i don't know five six times and uh i would never consider myself a burner um but but you know, I feel like identity is the problem, right? If, if the aim of our spiritual practice is to transcend subject-object duality, then all identity is in any form is a reification of the ego, 
of, of, of the limited self. And, and at the same time, am I, uh, do I have close relationships in these communities? I, I, I do, you know, and I have, uh, I have friends in, in social justice movements around the world, uh, especially in the global South, deep allies in peasant movements and farmer movements and indigenous movements. And I have deep friends and deep relationships in places like uh, people who go to places like Burning Man um, and, uh, and are in ayahuasca communities and are in spiritual communities and uh, yoga communities uh, and tantric communities around the world. And, and so I see myself more of like a bridge being. And when Martin Kirk and I wrote this article, it very much came from that place of like being a bridge being. Uh, yeah. And, it, and, and I mean, in some ways, you know, that, this side of the equation is more tricky, right? Because you're sometimes dealing with people who are like, non-duality, wholeness. Yeah, you know, yeah, I get it. <laughs> Yet, there's, you know, we might still perceive a certain like lack of action or you know urgency to actually, uh, you know, completely. Yeah, be out there making the change in the world. So I, I, I have what what what, 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 can, what what can be done there? Well, I, I think the first thing we need to do is, uh, and you know, I don't say the word need lightly is is to 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 be in active self-reflection not just about what's happening in our own body in our own situation but what is happening in the in the broader context in which we live and what what often happens with 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 new age people what they say to me when it comes to duality is like i don't want to think about other people's suffering or i don't want to be against anything because it creates duality. It create, that, that's a very common argument, right? Um, judgment creates duality. And actually, the, the response to that is the fear of duality creates duality. <laughs> you know, to, to, the, 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 the fear of judgment actually creates the judgment. Fear itself is already the creation of duality. And by accepting the, the fact that we live in the third dimension, we live in an inherently dualistic uh, reality. As soon as you acknowledge that, that's how you can transcend subject-object duality. That's where the transcendence comes from. It's not from ignoring reality. It's from seeing the shadow in its full shadow and the light in its full light. And only when you can hold both simultaneously, as, you know, as Jesus said, the, the, the serpent and the dove, when you understand both, then the transcendence can come. But if you're only focused on the light and your what's happening in your own body and your your little bubble in Topanga Canyon, and everything's perfect here. Uh, how dare you bring up what's happening on the other side of the world? You're ruining my trip, man. And it's like, well, I, I, actually, your your trip is an illusion. And if if we're if we're in this spiritual practice for real, then you. We can train ourselves to get to the point where you can hold all of that reality, and then that's the first step. And 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 once that happens, you will be open to the omens of the universe. That if your values are the values of solidarity, of justice, of caring, of altruism, the universe is going to show you in which way you can contribute to that. And it doesn't mean everyone has to be an activist. It doesn't mean everyone has to be a revolutionary. It doesn't mean, 
it, it just means that as soon as you declare to the universe what you stand for, in negotiation with the, the broader entelechy, the broader whole, you will be able to contribute in a way that is commensurate with your ancestors' sacrifices, is commensurate with your endowments, your resources, your privileges. And that is a life worth living. It's perhaps an interesting way and in sometimes to just to suggest to people that yes, compassion, solidarity, altruism are, you know, noble uh, and worthy aims in themselves. But I, uh, if if some of the, uh, the the illness in this in these spiritual communities is this kind of craving for higher states, then to suggest actually that the the only the only way to get to those higher states is to actually really act in the name of these of these virtues, that uh, the, the the deepest satisfaction, even for oneself. <laughs> comes through a life of of service i think is at least an interesting way of like uh pressing some buttons and uh and and tr and, tr and tr triggering people in some potentially well, it, it, useful ways yeah it, it is it is it is the 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 highest high is is, is that you know and, and 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 this is why you can keep on chasing the high you know and and do as many psychedelics as you want. Do as much as Kundalini as you want. Do as much Wim Hof breath as you want. You're not going to get there, right? You're just not. And 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 what happens is when they they, uh, they see people who are embodied in that. When you see a Krishnamurti, um, when you see a Gandhi, when you see an Aurobindo, what they're doing is they're they're creating the the sort of vibrational pattern of what could be, and you know that. Their, their lives are complete because they applied the principles of their teachings. And when you get to that state, there, there's nothing to chase. You know, there's that old Buddhist line that says, um, enlightenment doesn't happen in a cave. Enlightenment happens in the mouth of the lion. It's like it's that moment where, where everything you're being taught is being applied, that you, you, you realize that you are in this... Uh, that's when the subject-object blur happens. That's when you're in that complete flow state. And you realize that the, these plants want you to do that, right? That's what's so interesting, which is why I, I, I do urge people to, to merge their consciousness with the plant consciousness because these plants have an agenda. And, and we ask the question of why support life? Well, when you, when you tap into that consciousness and you realize that... Uh, Mother Ayahuasca, or that the Ninos, the the psilocybin mushrooms, are allies who are also in support of life, and that they're actually, in some ways, they're giving you an agenda, they're giving you a direction, they're supporting you in that. And this thing that we're missing in Western culture, this the the, the so what that science can never answer, and that religion has failed to answer, with its, uh, you know, in in some ways. Uh, farcical, ridiculous answers, right? Which is why it it's never satisfies us, right? Um, it actually gets fed for the first time. And when you have that feeling of gnosis, when you have that direct experience of, of the divinity showing you what divinity wants, the teleology of divinity itself, which in some ways can really only be accessed 
by these higher states, then there's no more chasing the high anymore. The, 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 you realize that the, these peak experiences we have uh, are happening to us for a reason. You know, and this is what I, I, I remember my, my friends at Occupy, the, the same year I went to, uh, that we were at Occupy, I was also at the burn. And people from Occupy and a bunch of anarchists then you would say, why do you hang out with these new age hippies in the desert? And, 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 you know, and I'd say, well, when I have these peak experiences, what they remind me is of why I do the political work I do. Because I want, to, I want to create a world where everyone has access to this kind of peak experience. I'm not in the peak experience for the hedonism of having the peak experience, although I'm in the pleasure of it, I'm in the gratitude of it. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm exposing myself to that, knowing that the privilege I have is to be experienced right now in the moment and is also a, a reservoir in which I will go back to in my deepest, darkest moments of the political work. And I also know that the political work challenges me in ways that, that make my spiritual practice relevant. You know, when I'm sitting in front of that World Bank bureaucrat wanting to chop their head off, because of their callousness and their hubris and, and, their, and, and their destruction, uh, that that my my spiritual practice is allowing me to be in compassion. It's allowing me to understand the multiple layers of reality that are happening simultaneously, and the two completely feed each other. And there's an old Vedic line that says, uh, "Your work should never exceed your sadhana. Your work should never exceed your practice." And uh, our our psychedelic work is our practice, just as the spiritual practice and there's political practice and understanding the mimetic warfare is a practice deprogramming yourself is a practice de-schooling is a practice these are practices we're cultivating in order to be more relevant and be more useful to a planet that is dying and that is our context and if, if we don't understand context we are irrelevant that's by definition what it means to be in context and this is what wendell berry says we're a species out of context so when I see new age people who are like praying and going to Tony Robbins workshops so they could have a house in the Hamptons and a Ferrari, it's not, I don't want to be in judgment of them. There's nothing wrong per se with their prayer. It's just, it's contextually irrelevant for the planet we live in. It's like wear a tuxedo for a funeral. There's no cacao smoothies on a dead planet either. Exactly. And it's like, you could wear a tuxedo to a funeral. And that's just out of context. You could look fabulous in another context, but in that context, that doesn't make any sense. And what the New Age dream is, what the Tony Robbins American dream is, is wearing a tuxedo to a funeral. And, and if, if, you have, if you're so, you have such power of manifestation, what we're trying to, what, you know, part of this inquiry is to push you to say, well, why don't we dream a better dream? Why don't we redirect our power of manifestation and, and uh, recalibrate our bow and arrow and raise our gaze collectively? Because that's what the context is asking and for. I think having a, uh, a dialogue with the plants is, is incredibly an incredibly important part of this to understand that we're not just doing this for humanity and not even just for animal kind but for 
but for plants for all life on earth somehow in uh, taking on that greater sense of responsibility it uh yeah it, well that sense of responsibility i find rather empowering actually and uh and enlivening and and, and energizing uh, and 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 also, yeah, I mean, and part of that is this sense of oh, we're not alone. Like, because in the, the the challenge that uh, we've set ourselves now seems almost impossible with us. Well, you know, current at least in climate, like you know, heading towards four or five degrees warming with collapse of, of insect populations and so on. Sometimes it's like, what? How on earth are we going to get out of this mess? But those of us that have had some experience with the plants know that there are powerful unseen allies that are you know they're also the, the similarly desire the perpetuation of, of life on earth that that might help to, to 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 swing things in in the right direction yeah we, we have access to a technology that is ancient and new simultaneously and is so profound and to uh, to shun access to that because of an ideology we don't even know why we carry the prejudice we carry against uh, it, it's like not using the internet it's like saying well i you know I, I don't i don't believe in uh configuration of wires that way or it's it's other it's outside of me well oxygen is outside of you and water is outside of you and nourishment from food is outside of you and if you if you're making that internal external distinction well that's the problem there, there is no outside and, and, and that's what we're, 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 we're learning on multiple levels as a planet. That's part of what's happening right now is like to, mm. to understand the consequences yeah. of our actions as well. To, so, I think you've, in the article you, you talk about how uh, you desire, you think there might be some need for us to look beyond simply the dehumanization or... or uh, or to legalization of these substances in a commercial sense, and I think that the time is 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 ripe or very almost ripe to make a really powerful argument to those currently in power of listen. You have to look at these plants and these more broadly these techniques, uh, not simply because you know they're of the human rights arguments, the cognitive liberty arguments. Not simply because of the uh, the arguments showing that they can be of great use in the field of mental health, but because they, because but because we are in existential crisis, and these are one of the only, uh, mm. you know, th these may well be an essential tool in helping us move through that. And really, well, yeah, and I can ask you the question and like how. When are we actually going to see this this link made more in the mainstream between extinction and psychedelics and other you know spiritual practices? Because it doesn't. It seems like it's, it's maybe just beginning now, but it's, it's we're not quite there. We're not quite there, and and I, and I think the 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 sad reality, uh, and I won't say human nature, but I'll say the the nature of of uh, Western culture is uh, that unless it's directly under attack, the Western way of life, the McDonald's way of life, unless that's directly under attack um, and it's felt viscerally, 
then change will will not be had because we're we're too comfortable, and and um, that that you know privilege is a constraint. Privilege privilege is a deep constraint, and complacency removes the desire and ability to to make change. And climate change has to go from something we intellectually understand to something we 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 viscerally feel, and it's. A, it's also that's part of the rite of passage. That's part of this sort of civilizational initiation we're, we're going through is to, to be put into a state of, of, of grief and desperation. Uh, we don't have to, but for whatever reason we're electing to. Uh, and, 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 and this often happens in shamanic journeys, right, in people's lives that they, they uh, many people know this, but um, in, in many shamanic traditions, let's say the Songoma traditions of South Africa, you go through this deep crisis as a child, and that's how the the elders know that you you, you will most likely be a shaman, is that you have the psychic break or physical break, and it's like we're doing this to ourselves on some level, you know. And and what well, the the what's going to happen to human culture when we witness a billion of our brothers and sisters and more than human life? die and and viscerally feel it it's not an abstract thing of 200 species dying a day uh but it's felt is that there will be uh, a step change there will be a shift in consciousness and uh, people will also start to realize that the the only way out of this is non-linear it's non-linear it's transrational and it can only be accessed through a merger of consciousness with uh, that's higher than ours and every civilization every sophisticated civilization on this planet has had a symbiotic relationship with plants the incans had ayahuasca the aztecs had peyote and psilocybin the ancient egyptians had acacia and blue lotus the indians had ganja human beings without plant allies and plant guides is like uh complex piece of machinery without the instruction book you know and that's why we're the mess we're in because western culture is the first civilizational culture to not have a sacrament that it's in reverence of that is helping to guide our evolution as a species mm. we're completely disconnected but the potential for connection persists yeah so we've been speaking for just over an hour now. So I think yeah, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up soon. I'm wondering if I can invite you to offer any final thoughts or any 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 shout outs for things that are, uh, are coming up or that you might or, or people might find interesting. Um, yeah, that we mentioned the mystical anarchism uh, concept, and there's an article in Cosmos uh, that's a few years old. Um, that I've written that that is worth checking out, um, and we we almost touched on it, but uh, you mentioned Stephen that there's something innate in 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 the chasing the high and our desire for consumption, um, and there's another article uh, called Seeing Wetiko. Wetiko is the indigenous concept of cannibalism. Um, that's also in uh, Cosmos Journal. That if you Google that, you'll you'll find it. I think that's worth reading. And then the the article you referenced, um, which is on Capi.net around psychedelic communities, social I, justice. I will certainly put links to all of those in the show notes. 
Wow, Arno, it's been an absolute pleasure. I think we really got into a, a flow there. Um, so I'm, I'm actually looking forward to listening to this back and, and digesting it. Um, Thank you for your time and the, and the conversation. And, and yeah, we can only go uh, in, in co-relationship and in, in the entanglement. So uh, I appreciate uh, you and, and the work you've done and the, the, the medicine work you've done and your work for, you know, spreading the message of, of plant consciousness and uh yeah and, and to your ancestors and the spirits and all the elements that conspired for us to have this conversation shukran <laughs>